realize there are a lot, a lot of amazing people out there to be grateful for, and a loving God. And that, other than that, good luck. That's what life is about. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast, strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Go to Hell podcast so other fellow degenerates can listen. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how's it like to be a degenerate? Uh, (laughs) It is uh, pretty great. We're going to talk about it because you'd like to laugh at my pain. And Tim was there the whole time. Yeah, he was he was busy. But yep, we'll talk about it. It's okay. Everybody knows on this podcast. So if we don't talk about it, then it seems like we're trying to avoid the elephant in the room. So Manchester United received the tied for the greatest loss that it has ever faced in the history of the club oh, on did, Sunday. How did I miss this? I don't know how you were like completely oblivious to the world we were watching it i watched liverpool beat manchester united seven nil holy smokes yeah remember when we talked about the manchester derby and it was six to two was the final score seven nil wow yeah it was that's like uh 56 to nothing in football yeah, and, American football. And just so we're clear, I want you guys all to I mean, University of Oregon did that to like the Pac-12 for like years. I want to let you know that I am I to establish my fanhood for you guys. I watched every minute of that game and just wallowed in depression. <laughs> so I mean like the I even had other soccer fans who were sitting there with me and they were like, why don't you just turn it off? Like, this is just painful. Like, the players can't walk off the field and just call it quits in the middle of a game. So, you as a f- I believe that as a fan, you have to sit there and you have to endure it with them, even though you're not the one that's contributing. But, you know, you still feel a part of it. It was sad. It's sad. Sad Sunday. After I just watched my American team, the Sounders, like, destroy... Uh, Real Salt Lake, so. You know what? Uh, when I enjoy a, a restaurant and after a couple years the food goes to hell, I stop going to the restaurant. So I get it. Uh, sports are supposed to be different. We're fans. But it's been drummed into my head that this is just a business. So when my team sucks, then I just stop paying attention because why would I pay good money to support a bad product when it's just a business? <laughs> that's if you view them as a business view those as players yeah uh yeah well i mean just already like sports is such a odd concept we should probably actually spend a, some time talking about it on this podcast of just dissecting sports and teams and how that is actually probably bad for us and a bad for our psychological stuff there's good things that come from it and there's bad things that come from I think it. modern sports is warped for sure I think high school sports probably until about the somewhere around the turn of the century really, really got bad. Speaking about Southern California, might have already been that bad for like Texas football a long time ago. But 
it stopped being what it was supposed to be for. Yeah, now it's for uh, 40-year-olds to live out their dreams to do exactly, children. Exactly, it's for 40-year-olds to take it out on their progeny for them failing to live up to their, their failed uh, career. Or it's an economic vehicle, so mom and dad don't have to, have to spend so much on college. So well, now it is not what it used to be. Well, look, when I coach football, I'll speak personally about football. Football at its best is a phenomenal teaching vehicle. Football, not unlike other sports, but to the extreme of other sports, relies on a lot of people doing things that aren't that are important for the success of the team, but they're not getting much accolades for it. And so it really requires you to understand the team concept, do your job, uh, and all that kind of thing. So, and I think there is some good lessons to be learned about self-sacrifice and working with a group of other people to achieve things. And I'm sure there's coaches out there who are still trying to hang on to that. But from what I see going on, particularly, again, we, we live in Central Valley of California. It's bad enough here. But in specifically what I see coming out of Southern California with football, basketball has become an absolute joke this is we've basically professionalized high school athletics and it's one of many reasons why we all sit around going like why are high school kids so unhappy because you're making something that should be fun not fun right we we are obsessed with turning our children into little professional careerists right they Um, had career day at my at my granddaughter's she's in preschool or she's in preschool they had career day and I was, what the hell's wrong with you people? I don't want her thinking at all about her career. I want her bumbling around, learning letters, being a kid, having fun. Well, and I mean, even as a soccer fan, something to think about that uh, we don't really have in the United States. But there are a couple of satellites in the United States. Uh, there are schools that mm-hmm. are dedicated to, um, to IMG in Florida. Soccer. Yep. Uh, Barca has a or Barcelona, Barca, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they have a, they have one in Arizona. There's lots of different clubs that have these schools, and so those are kind of uh, an interesting thing where they are trying to like uh, Lionel Messi was one of those famous people that was a part of the school program um, where he was taken out of Argentina when he was really young and got involved with Barcelona school and became the legend that he is today. So. Well, I'm so sorry for your club. Thanks. I mean, I think it was a setback. I think that we lost, but we played a really good first half. Then we let in the second goal, and then we let in the third, and then our guys just gave up. They just were like, okay. And then once the fourth one came in, they were like, all right, we've really given up now. Like, we don't really care. <laughs> like, score as many goals as you want. Like, yeah. our goal – and if we're in the long run, like it really didn't hurt us that bad. We are. St- it would have been nice to have won that game because then we would have really been close to title contention. Where it's like if City and Arsenal were to fall off on theirs, um, we're still in the hunt. But it's we're now solidified pretty much in the third slot to where we're gonna have to be fighting third, fourth, fifth places for those spots. Um, so we hope they back. They bounce back and do well. I think it was a setback. It'll be really interesting to see how the team responds from that drubbing. Cause last time this happened, they came out and they, they did their best after the city embarrassment. 
and they went out and they've done really well since then. So this is our first loss since then. So, oh no, we lost to Gunners. So, but at the end of the day, that's pretty impressive. So again, it'll be really important to see how the team bounces back from this, if they're able to bounce back. So you mentioned it, we were in Vegas for weekend of racing in Las Vegas Motor Speedway. That's right. I didn't win big money again, guys. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. did not win the race. If he would have won, I would have won $1,010. But it's okay, Ricky. I, I still root for you every single time, even if you don't make me any money. I'm also a big Kevin Harvick fan, and Kevin Harvick had a great race. He's like third in the playoff rankings right now, or fourth. Third or fourth. He's doing well. It was. Uh, it's always a great weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Staff there they're doing a good job putting on a race. It was cold and windy, which they didn't have any control over. So it wasn't the greatest weekend from that standpoint. It was a little rough, particularly those of us out there working. Uh, well, fans were out there. They did, despite the weather, they had a full crowd on Sunday. A pretty good crowd on Friday and Saturday for the trucks and the Xfinity series. So we had a great time, as we always do. Uh, worked hard, had a little fun in the evenings. You went two nights. You guys, you guys went. No, you went one night to the brewery. Brewery. Yeah. I I ended up going three nights to Abel Baker in downtown. So it's between uh, the Stratosphere on the Strip and what they used to call Fremont Street. I don't know if they still do, but it's in a little uh, gentrified part of downtown. They've got a lot of boutiques and art galleries and there's a lot of breweries and bars there too so we went to one that looked pretty good and ended up we just went to that one and the food was delicious food was phenomenal absolutely recommend anybody that if you're in vegas and go check out what is it again it's abel baker brewery abel baker brewery kitchen inside i think was called the artisan kitchen it was you said abel baker i keep wanting to call it the nuclear duck excuse me yeah, yeah, it's basically, yeah. The restaurant inside seems separate, but they it's inside the brewery. I think it's called Artisan Kitchen. Everything was very well made. Yeah, my, bur- great. my burger and fries was delicious. And if you're someone who's not really sure what kind of beer you like, or you're not a big IPA fan, or you got friends who like no one likes the same kind of beer. It's the perfect place to go to. I think they had, what, 36 beers on yeah, that board? Yeah, it was board. like 25, 40, and 25 to 30. all of them, they had literally every kind of beer you can think of, and they even had wine I saw. So yeah, homemade root beer. Yeah. Um, so great place. Uh, definitely go there when we're back in the fall. Yeah, for sure. We had a good time there. And then we had a lot of whiskey, too. Yep, tried a couple of those. I think I only had one, but... Whatever I had was delicious. We had the Willet pot still. We had a Russell 10. That bottle got consumed. I had the Russell 10. That's what I had. Yeah, the... Uh, I did the, not uh, have the wild turkey. The wild turkey rare breed, which is supposed to be really good. It was very good. It's not like... Sorry, wild turkey. It's not like your regular wild turkey. It's much, much better. And then there was a 15-year-old whistle pig, which I managed to kidnap and bring home. How dare you? Well, they drank the whole. The PR staff proceeded to drink my Russell Ten without asking, so it was right. a fair trade in, in my book. <laughs> that's that's fair. A, I have no idea how much that fifteen cost, but it's probably five times whatever I paid for that Russell Ten. But no, 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 it's it's comparable. <laughs> uh, we're drinking tonight. Sitting 
beer of the week. We have a nice little collaboration uh, between Societe, Society, we still haven't figured it out, and Moonlight Brewing Company. Also, I feel like we should let it be known that the reason why we can't figure out Society or Societe is because the way that they spell it is S-O-C-I-E-T-E. Yeah. Um, so it makes you want to say Society, um, but it also makes you want to say Societe. But uh, and then we got the Moonlight Brewing Company. I don't know where they're based out of, but uh, we have this nice little black IPA for those of you that are unfamiliar with black IPAs. They're an IPA with more of the flavor notes that you would find in like a stout. They are a nice mix between the two um, if you like those types of things. Pretty tasty. Society, we're still looking for you to just come right out and be our official sponsor, our official beer sponsor every single week. We'll drink, what was the Dreams one? We could drink that every night. So, what was their Dreams beer? You remember what I'm talking about? I do, but I don't remember the name. Yep, so it's delicious. All right, uh, I don't I don't have a hot topic. I don't have any cleanup either. No, nor, no cleanup, but I do want to say a, a shout out to a, I don't know if he listens to the show, so it's a photographer I work with. Uh, he's an interesting cat. He is from France. He's black, so I have no, you know, he's not African American. He's, I, I think they just call him black. We started working with him when he was in France. He shot a lot of big events there, like soccer, shot uh, French Opens, that kind of thing. Then he moved to the United States. When he moved to the United States, he started picking up some other assignments from other people, shooting NBA and a bunch of stuff, and he ended up getting married to, I won't say who he married to, he married a, married someone, and he got into rodeo, and then started shooting rodeo, so that's what he submits to us, is a lot of PBR rodeo, and he and his wife up and moved to Nashville a year or two ago. Someone was asking me about him, and I said, "Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. He's just he's someone. He's a he's a black French redneck. Like he's gone all in on American cowboy culture. It's awesome. But that's not so. That's the background. But this happened while we were at the Clash in January. He got baptized. He became a Christian, and he got baptized right away. And so I saw it on Instagram." And it was just, and we've talked about baptism on this before, and I think you and I were both, if you're still, if you're listening to this show regularly, I don't think you were shocked by what we had to say, but it certainly wasn't conventional, and we were, we made it clear it's important, but it's sometimes often made too important in certain circles of the church. Yeah. And I, so we might have made it, I don't think we, sometimes we need, I think, in, in, inject into these conversations where we're trying to be critical some positive things because I don't think I mentioned that when when I am at church I I assume good things about the background with person getting baptized at our church it's rarely a teenager but even when it is I must say every time I see a baptism I get choked up because it's an important moment someone is publicly declaring to other people that they believe in Jesus and they're going to be a follower of Jesus and so sitting there at the race working and I get this Instagram thing from my friend and it pops up and I see he's been baptized and it was awesome. So, and I told him it was great to see him in Instagram. I told him it was great to see him and he said it meant a lot. So shout out to 
Christoph Elise for getting baptized and part of the way, as they used to call it, which I think we should bring back. That's awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of times, and especially on this podcast, we get a little, we get a little negative. We get a kind of nasty at times. You sound jaded. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's terrible. But I think there's times where we need to celebrate and and feel great about amazing things that have happened and that continue to happen in our world. We talk about a lot of things that are wrong a lot of the times. Um, and so we need to take those little victories and those those moments and cherish them. Um, so if you do get choked up like Tim does at a at baptism or anything like that, or maybe even when you're when once a month they do, communion at your church and for whatever reason every single time you're moved by that situation or your church is doing something really awesome like maybe you've seen tim been sharing on our go to hell podcast instagram feed about stuff that's going on at our church and that kind of stuff where we're opening up at our church we're opening up a a center for kids to go and do learn to learn and do after school programs and do all that kind of stuff and it's it's just the church just wanting to be a part of the community um they're not really trying to they're not trying to push an agenda it's just really we just want to show love and care to these kids in this area and it doesn't really matter like we're not doing a bible study or anything like that it's really just let's open up a facility where kids can do really fun things um, and enjoy it and know that people are taking care of them in this world because that's really what we're supposed to do so uh i don't mean to use that to overshadow the baptism thing no, i'm just no, saying that good. those are those are examples of little victories so when you find them and you've and you feel excited about them, you should 100%. There's a lot of good things going on in the world. So it's not all bleak and dark all the time. No, and it's also, I think, a good... Look, this guy, he married someone who was previously married to someone fairly prominent. I'll just leave it at that. Someone, pretty much anyone listening to this Angelina Jolie, I got you. And I don't say that because I, I wouldn't have assumed she was a Christian. It was just... My point is, you never know who you're interacting with usually because of business or maybe it's someone you knew from college or somewhere a long time ago you lost touch with and you just, you never know when they're going to pop back up and they might be a believer and you didn't know it or they become a believer. It's just another reminder of why we have to act like Jesus followers. And I'm not talking about, look, Yes, we probably, we swear on this podcast, we probably shouldn't, you know, we should watch what we say, all that kind of thing, but just be mindful of how we act like Jesus and use those moments. I, what I try to do when I interact on a daily, on a daily basis is when I do something that catches somebody off guard, like, oh, that's a really nice thing to do. I go out of my way to say, yeah, that's, you know, it's kind of what Jesus would do, so I'm trying to act like Jesus. It just You don't have to go wearing it on your sleeve, but when the moment pops up, just say, yeah, trying to live out my faith. And if they go, oh, really? And they ask you about it, then it's a good moment. All right, what's the topic for tonight? Oh, tonight. So just so everyone knows, normally it's me dropping something on Colton cold, and he's having to deal with something I drop on him cold. Sometimes we both know what we're going to talk about. Tonight, I am the one on the hot seat. That's right. Tim's on the hot seat tonight. Tonight, we are. Uh, the reason why we're going through this is because uh, Tim is at the ripe age of 51. Um, <laughs> and what we are going to be talking about tonight is 
the existential crisis or existential questions. Hopefully he hasn't had too many crises in his life. He's ready to navigate through this, um, this situation. Sexual beer. Yeah. Well, speaking of which I need another one, but what we're going to do tonight is we've got a list of about 51 existential questions. For those of you guys that don't really know what existential questions is, well, they simply are diving into questions about our existence. Um, there's lots of things that go about there. It's very abstract ideas, things that uh, we actually tackle on a regular basis when you're dealing in the realm of spirituality. Um, you're really dealing with these existential questions. This is philosophy, not at its truest form but just at a at a very basic form these are the things that when you hear that aristotle and plato and all of them were philosophers these are the questions that they would struggle with and these are the ones that they wrote papers and books on and i have like a huge collection of all of their works in my house and it is baffling the things that they tackle so at what moment does a ham sandwich become a ham sandwich is it when you make the, the sandwich or when you eat the sandwich that's an existential question right because it's talking about your life but also talking about a ham sandwich so what we're going to do is we're just going to rifle through these um tim's going to give his initial reaction um his initial answer some of them are going to be really simple wow, this might be a four-hour podcast i was like some of these are going to be really simple some of these are going to be a little bit a little bit more where we're going to have to break it down i know one that we're going to have to break down a little bit too um i'll be breaking them down into a little like subcategories asking a little bit more questions to kind of dig um for tim and uh, we'll see where the night takes us. So um, strap in. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Um, this might be a two-parter. We'll see. But first I need a beer and a piss. Beer break. Okay. <clears throat> While you're pouring your beer, I'm going to ask you your question. Uh, and we're just going to go right down the list. We're just going to have a little bit of fun with this. Let's see how we do. So first off, the most famous existential question of all. And let's just hear your dry spitball. What is the meaning of life, Tim? All right, I'm just going to... Meaning of life, not purpose, by the way. I'm going to admit on the first question, I'm the type that wants to ask... What's the purpose of the question rather than just answering the question? It's a vague question, so rather than just answer a vague question, try to narrow it down. Okay, what's the what is the purpose of life? No, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Are we here? I mean, like as for people that are of faith, this is even a question where you should be struggling with this because this isn't something that's revealed to us. Well, why did why are we here? Is it fair that we're here? Yeah, so I would say as a person of faith, and this wouldn't have been my answer oof, certainly 20 years ago, maybe not even 15 or 10, I would say where I am at in life now and my faith in Christ is the meaning of life is for us to live like Jesus. I think that that's the purpose of life. What is your purpose in life as those that are a part of this? But what is the meaning of life? Well, I would say then it's it's God seeing, seeing us 
bumble around trying to achieve that. So we're a TV show. Well, I think there's some. I think, I think there's some truth to that. I think there's a level of uh, Truman Show here. For a bit of amusement. I mean, I felt for a while now that this probably isn't the first time this has happened. If 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 we're if we're to believe that God is this infinite creature, then it begs to. We're either the first time this experiment's happened or there might have been infinite number of times this has happened because if if we're also to we're we're told to believe as as not only uh well as believers that god is a relational being and if he's a relational being then and this what we understand as life is only finite well i guess that this could have been the first time and then the relationship continues after this heaven and earth ends. I don't know. The meaning of life. I don't think your answer is wrong. I mean, from what we get from the book of Genesis, uh, the best that we could get from the book of Genesis is, honestly, we're gardeners. We're caretakers. Well, we're, take, we're caretakers of this. We're caretakers of this earth. That's... I, think, I think it's arguable, depending on how long this heaven and earth ends. God's going to give us the ability to be caretakers of what else exists in this galaxy if we can get there. That might not be a good idea. We can get that to another episode. Other episode. That's another existential question. Uh, so, but I guess yeah, so. Going back to Genesis, I think that the meaning, the story of Genesis and the story of Adam's. If we let's take Adam literally, the Genesis story and Adam literally. And if you're female, please don't be offended by this. The sex order doesn't really, isn't what's important is God first creates someone for him to have a relationship with. And so that that's probably the ultimate meaning. And then he creates somebody else for this person, for him to have a relationship with. Because I think God, one could argue, even though God's supposed to be omnipotent, omniscient, omni, et cetera, omni, et cetera, et cetera. God realizes really quick, oh, it's not enough for just me to be in a relationship with these creatures that I have. Well, we're created in his image, so it stands to reason if we, if he created us to have a relationship with him, then we also need similar beings to have relationship. And he's just not, we weren't built where he was sufficient enough. So yeah, the meaning of life is for us to is for God to have a relationship with something he's created. And if that bothers you, that's why we have children. Yeah, I think I think it's fine. I am it's just it's something that I do think that a lot of Christians need to wrestle with. I think that we are really good as Christians identifying the purpose of our lives. What is it that we need to drive us that force again? That's that mission, that vision that we have. But then also understanding that if God created us, then there is a meaning or a purpose behind that or initial meaning, right? Like what is there meaning behind life? Some people believe that there is no meaning behind life. That again, you have this randomness or whatever. It's just blah, blah. It's just there. But for us as people of faith, then there has to be some sort of meaning. Why did God create us? Is actually the question that we're trying to answer. Why did God create us? Because that would then give our life meaning. 
because it's a, it's, 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 look, it's the, it's the first question and is that fundamental and you're correct. I answered it as the purpose. You were very clear. Don't answer it as purpose. I still did. <laughs> no, it, it, I'm glad you did. The purpose, the, the question was meaning. And that is an important question to answer because not to cast stones at anybody who struggles with it and then fails to answer that square that question to, sufficiently. But that's why so many people will turn away from God. And the problem with that is when you don't believe in God and somehow God being part of the meaning of life, humanity has proven over and over again and i don't think the infinite number of tries that we can try now and in the future is going to solve the problem it it eventually turns into nihilism and nihilism causes all kinds of mischief right and the question is so like you said like the truman show and this is a question for anybody in the audience are you okay with that i think that that's kind of a trick question because well, it's not a trick question. Well, I mean, that's that's the conundrum of that's the conundrum we all face, particularly those who who struggle with. Um, we love, particularly if you're an American, we love free will, freedom. Fr- free will is basically we love freedom. Free will is the basic, just basic e- expression of freedom. We love free will, but we get really mad at God because He created us with free will. He, he, we just wish that he, he just created us in this world where we all have, I guess, the software in our system only allows us to do good things instead of m- messing up the world. There's some truth to that frustration. But again, I point back, there's something to be said, and I think that's why God created us to procreate in the way we do. There's something to be said about children who love us because they know... <laughs> Children know they exist either consciously or subconsciously because we created them, and there's this, there's, there's always a different relationship between children. Well, there's not always healthy relationships between parents and children. I think is the perfect manifestation of the kind of relationship God wants with His children, which is, I am your creator, quote unquote, so to speak, and I love you unconditionally, but you are free to do what you want to do at some point. You are going to live your life. I think good parenting, the best parenting, and if you disagree, that's fine, but the best parenting at some point in the teenage years is to just finally let people start making kids making decisions because the more you keep them on guardrails, you're only hurting them in the long run because at some point the guardrails or the training wheels go off and the more you delay it, they are not equipped to deal with this big bad world and make good decisions on their own. So, have we killed that one enough? We probably won't. I think so. No, I think I don't think that we've killed it. Like, if any of you listen to this, I think Tim answered it well. I think, especially as a believer and understanding that hey, this is something that I think that everybody should understand moving forward is that. This is the meaning that we're given in Genesis as far as life is. And again, yeah, as Americans, we have a different perspective of relinquishing control. Can can I just say this too? Yeah. Look, I'm going to say this. I'm going to predicate it by saying something else. Look, we live in an age where when someone makes a statement about something, 
and you might be part of this group that someone's speaking of, people get offended by it because we're not allowed to talk about in generalities anymore. For some reason, we've just decided to chuck generalities out, which is just asinine. You have to be able to have good discussions and make generalizations. If you are someone who goes around the world just judging people based on generalizations, then yeah, you're a bigot or a racist or one of those, you're falling into one of those categories. But people generally fall into general categories. So having said that, I think one of the problems, we, we've spent a, a good half of this podcast talking about why people are leaving the church. And we've done that for good reason because, well, we've, we've stated the, those reasons. One reason why people are leaving the church is because people are having children less. They're having less children and they're not having children more and more. Now, I, why did I say that predicate? Colton, you haven't had children yet, so I, I don't say that to make you feel bad. Anybody else listening to this who's married or has a significant other, you haven't had children yet. The point is to make you feel bad. But So specifically to you, you haven't had children yet. However, we can all agree. I, I think there is something to the fact that we as a society, not just the United States, but Europe and places like China have gone out of their way to not make having children a central thing to life the way it had been for many millennia. And I think there's something in there that is drawing people away from God because there's, and and let me also just say, stipulate, I, I did not have children of my own. I married someone who had three children, so I did not. So you call me a hypocrite, whatever. I would just say I'm the exception. But just in general for society, when we have a large group of people who, for a variety of reasons, have are deciding in their 20s and 30s not to have children because they're afraid of climate change or whatever the world's gotten is really scary, I think that that also leads us to get away from God because we're not seeing one of the central things we're supposed to do not the meaning, but one of our central purposes is to procreate as he, in a sense, procreated us into the world. So, all right. You ready for the next one? I am. I'm sure everybody else is too. They're tired of hearing me talking. So go ahead. No, I don't think so. Part two. I, this is a softball pitch for you, ready? <laughs> what is our purpose in life? Now's your chance to say Okay, it. our purpose in life is to live like Jesus. Okay, good. And what does that look like for us? Don't give me the Christian answer. Live like Jesus. Give me, what does that mean? Well, it's, so it's it's love God first. It's love others as we would want to love, as we would want to be loved. And it's to love our enemies. I think those are the three things. And we've talked about all three of those things on this podcast we increasingly have a hard time loving you mean to God. Tell me, you mean to tell me that it wasn't actually shoved the Bible down people's throats? I, I no. felt like that was our purpose. No. That was in the Bible, wasn't it? No. Sure. It's in the third, third, back, third book of Acts, chapter 45. Right. Okay, Bartholomew good. T- Bartholomew tells, tells everyone in the uh, church of uh, Thaddeus to... Uh, yeah. So there you go. Spread the Bible. There you go. And there, now you got your softball pitch. All right, next question. 
What alcohol percent are these, by the way? They're only like 6.7. Okay, well, I haven't had dinner, so that's a problem. I okay. don't I don't know. I felt like they're lying to us. I'm, these I'm guys are on the here, Julian but... scale. Uh, <laughs> all right. Happiness. And we've got a couple of these Oof. on happiness. Okay. But do you have a right to be happy or should you earn it? Oh, boy. We're coming right after you, Thomas Jefferson. And this also trickles into our next question, so be ready. Well, Thomas Jefferson, I think, was correct. Uh, individuals have a right for the government not to get the way in, in, the, in the way of their happiness. Okay, one, I'll just put my cards on the table. I'm not a big rights fan. I don't think we go through the world really with too many rights. Not, again, not talking government-wise, just talking in, right. an, in an existential way. Existential. Uh, of, well, I have a right to this, and I have a right to that. So it's happy. Can I dodge the question by saying I don't like happiness? I think joy is the more important thing. Nope. Happiness. We'll assume that joy is the happiness that you're looking for. Is that a right that we have, or do you have to earn it? Oh. Well, it's certainly something we have to choose. So I, I would go, I would err on, I would, if I had to pick one or the other, I would say it's more of a right than it is. I mean, it's something we earn rather than right. I will stipulate <laughs> that is a very 20th, 21st century question. Oh, don't worry. I've got, I've because got another layer on it. <laughs> if you're, I don't know. You're uh, some poor Welsh bastard living in England, uh, United Kingdom. You're living in Wales in 1698. I don't know how much, you know, certain, who, who would even raise the question of happiness being a right? Let alone, oh, I don't know, 392 and you're living in Denmark as the Danes run wild. I mean, I suppose they have their own version of happiness, but... Uh, Right. And so, okay. So, uh, all right. So there's that. And then it's also, I think, as we, <laughs> those of us who are accused of not being, you know, s scientific, but actually are, w the more we find out about the brain, there's a level of, maybe I'm, now I'm overcomplicating it, where there's a level of uh, chemicalness to it. But uh, I, I would say it's got to be earned. You, it, there's some of us that just go through life who just, enjoy not being happy okay there's grouches out there all right so we've got our do you have a right to be happy or really? should you're you not gonna give me your answer oh okay um i don't think that happiness is a natural right i believe in what you said that happiness is for us if we want to create it naturally um is something that we have to choose now again for those of you that struggle with depression and um, happiness is not something that you find on a regular basis, um, uh, but you have a right to be happy and you feel like that's something that is given to you. I don't necessarily believe that that's true, um, especially, uh, and I don't mean this, again, what's hard in these situations is we talk about depression and that kind of stuff is, when I say this, I don't mean that you are feeling entitlement or anything like that. 
but I'm saying that when it comes to rights, there is sort of a, you are entitled to them. That's the definition of it. Like that is, you are born and therefore you are allowed this. Happiness is where you're going to find it. Um, and you have to go out and look for it in my opinion, and based off of my personal experience, that's how I feel about it. There may be people out there that say, nope, that's not how it is. But I mean, there, lots of us define happiness in different ways. There's lots of us that find happiness in different things. There, I mean, there are people that experience joy in the massacring and killing of innocent people. And that's a true statement. And sure, we can say that that's an outlier, but then you could technically say that, that you can't deny them their right to happiness and those types of things. So there's, there's just different things that are associated with that. I think it's important to know that it's a choice that you have um, and it's something that you should go out and try to achieve. But I don't think it's naturally given to yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Which, don't get me wrong, we're, we're not leaving happiness alone. We're just going to give it a break for a second because Tim said something really funny about how he is not really for rights um, because we are super into them in this country. So the next question, literally on the list, I kid you not, I did not make this up. What are the universal human rights, Tim? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> You're a bitch. Uh, life is one. Okay, you have the right to your life. Always? Do you have a right to your life? Uh, <laughs> you, have a, you have a right to the government not taking away, for the sake of conversation... Let's just stipulate we're talking about you haven't broken a law that is a general, let's even, say, Ten Commandment kind of thing. Not even like, if even if you've broken a law. Well, that's good that you brought that up because the older I get, I I used to be very uh, pro death penalty. Death penalty. I'm not. I'm actually anti death penalty now. Now, part of that is a bit of cleverness because the older I get, the the government is so inept that I find it hard to give the government the right to take life away. Even <laughs> Tim thinks Tim and, actually, and, Tim actually thinks that them living out their days in prison is a worse sentence than just t- pulling the trigger. Oh, well, we could talk about prison reform too because I don't think the way we do prison is uh, at all humane. Tim's been watching a lot of Shawshank Redemption recently. That's, I watched Oz. I was like, that's a joke. Uh, All right, <laughs> there's no quick. such thing as Tim watching Shawshank Redemption recently. It's <laughs> just he has always been watching Shawshank Redemption. Real quick, prison is hell. The reason why prison is hell because well-meaning progressives decided to change the way we used to do prison. And in their infinite wisdom of trying to be more charitable, they've turned it into a shit show. So, yes, I believe prison should be the m- way it was in Shawshank Redemption where... People are worked to death during the day, so they don't have any time to shank each other in the shower. Uh, quick sidebar. So, uh, what are we talking about? Life. Uh, what are rights? What are the What are the universal rights? Uh, well, I hate to break it to anybody listening to this. Freedom's not one of them. I don't think God. I don't think God gave us some etern- This uh, earthwide eternal. There's freedom, but it's not the way we look. I look. I'll take the United States in freedom uh, any day, the way we have it. But sure, and I mean, like, there's still questions about whether or not are we actually. I mean, like, this is kind of a really interesting question for a lot of people to struggle with, and an existential question on its own is: Are we not slaves already, or are most of us not already slaves um, in the way that uh, we see it? 
Do you sure. Not, do you not go to work from a nine to a five? But sure. You, but you have the illusion of being able to pick whatever it is. Well, that I, you do. I'll, I'll flip it this way. Look, we we have this. It's 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 all over our way of speaking in the West. Any any country that's a quote democratic republic or democratic country. We have deluded ourselves into thinking that by just because we elect the people we elect, we are in a free society. Folks, you can live in a country where you elect your officials and you have less freedom than, say, what you had when you had King Charles in the 1400s. By electing people, you don't have more freedom. All you're doing is choosing your overlord. So just to get on, on like a sidebar politically, democracy in and of itself is not freedom. It is a way of choosing your leaders. It gives you agency in potentially choosing who your leaders are. But but because you live in a democracy does not mean you live in a free society at right. all. Right. So, boy. So, yes, life is one. And by life, I mean, whew, and I, I life would be the life to defend oneself if one wants to we've we had one of our early episodes was the was, uh, pacifism and self-defense i do believe we have a right to self-defense <laughs> i don't know that we really have and got we talking about god's view now i'm talking about you what are your views what is what are the rights that we as humans are given based off of what you have perceived i think want. we should have we should have the right to Right to life, which includes defending ourselves, and I do include that as uh, unborn babies. So I will say that we've talked a little bit about abortion. We've talked around it. I do include abortion. I'm not a crazy person about it. I don't go around calling people who are pro-choice murderers. Uh, I do believe in property rights. I think we should have some right to some level of property. Uh, I shouldn't have to rely on someone else for me to feed myself and shelter myself. Mm. That's what I got. I got less than you. Mine is, I think that it's life. I think you have a right to this life. I don't think that there's any other rights that you are entitled to. I think I want property. I think I want lots of other things. But what I'm guaranteed in this life is my life. I think you're probably right. I don't think that there's any other guarantees um, or things that I should not be denied or accepted. And that sounds really morbid and gross, especially if you think about you know, places where they're not given liberty and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it goes back to that purpose of what it is that we're here to do and what it is that we need to accomplish while we're here. And I can do that without having being given anything other than my life. I think you're right. And look, I think uh, you're saying it from a you're saying it from what we're entitled to. And not to get too political or philosophical, but I look. I think the the founding fathers agreed with you. They obviously codified other things that we have rights to, but they certainly agreed with you because Franklin's famously quoted to be saying whether or not he said it or not. After they signed the the Constitution, you know what what is it, Mister Franklin? It's it's a republic if you'll have it, if you can keep it. The founding fathers clearly clearly knew that. We're good at taking rights away, and I think you're correct. At the end of the day, what I have a right to is my life. And if we can get a society together that can agree on other things, that's fine. That's wonderful. But none of those things are set in stone. 
And <laughs> again, to take it back to what I said earlier, the irony is, is while we're trying to take God away, we're trying to take God away at the same time we're trying to create these infinitely expound on the number of rights we have. Well, says who? You? Well, and I think you, if you don't believe in God, you you ultimately you're your little God. So we're trying to get what 200, 320 million little gods trying to agree what our rights are. Well, and I still I dip into this well every single time that politics comes up because it's actually the way that I view politics through my faith. And people, friends of mine, probably get really irritated that I keep digging into this well. And so you'll probably be like, oh, here he goes again. Do you know what I'm going to say? Pull one verse. It's always give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what sure. is God. Sure. I, I think there's. But I've been saying, like, that's the thing is what, is, what do I have to give to God? It's my life. Yeah. He doesn't want anything else. That's what he wants. And so I give to God what is God's, uh, look, and that I is my life. I don't think you're wrong. That's why we struggled. That's why we had that episode about the right to, to defend oneself. And we. that's why we've had multiple episodes, and we will continue to have episodes about, are you an American Christian, or you're a Christian American? Because at the We've end of convinced the day, ourselves yeah. of this myth that we had a bunch of evangelicals sitting in a room sweating to death for a couple of months in Philadelphia writing this God-breathed constitution that finally realized... Jesus was in the room, right, by the way. Finally realized what government on earth was supposed to be. Jesus signed the constitution. And we're holding on to that. And one of those rights is, you know, it's the right to say whatever the hell I want to. And it's just the, the right to defend myself however the hell I want to. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not discounting that those things were important. And I, the way the founding was done, I think was a really smart way, but it's not some gift God decided to sit around and interject into society almost 18 years. Well, yeah, pretty much seven, 1800 years, 1700 years after Jesus died. It's not what happened. These were not Jesus followers in any way that you and I recognize. I'm not saying that they weren't, but they certainly weren't Jesus. None of them in the room that were Jesus followers were a Christians in any way that anybody in the 20, 20th or 21st century would recognize. So I think we need to be honest about those things. We can go and vote and say we want to defend our right to free speech. We want to defend our right to uh, defend ourselves with guns. We can defend all these other rights that we're doing, but at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't really give a damn. Good. All right, next question. Which is funny because, again, you also opened this can of worms, and so I'm glad that we get to un... Uh, but I got, I got the question for you, and then I also got a nice little quote from John Lennon. Is happiness just chemicals circulating through our bodies? That's the question. John Lennon says, when I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wrote down happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment, and I told them they didn't understand life. <laughs> I was going to say he raised that question because he spent a good deal of the late 60s on LSD, and maybe he... Figured he found a, he found the chemicals. He, he found that chemical in Yeah, he found more happiness on when he was on LSD doing Yellow Submarine and uh, the White Label, uh, doing uh, Sergeant Pepper's and the White Label, the White Album. Oh boy. 
is that where we should get is, is that where we should get our happiness from or is that what we think no can you just go and increase your levels of dopamine and that'll be good enough for you is well, the key to okay ha- so the answer to that question i'm, gl- I'm glad you rephrase it that way because I, I hadn't thought about that but when you said dopamine that triggered okay you can find short-term fleeting happiness that way but that kind of happiness is like a drug where the more your happiness comes from those short dopamine doses, whether it be from the alcohol you drink or the dope you smoke or the little game you play on your phone or the videos you watch, uh, if that's where you're getting your, the note, that is a chemical happiness. And yes, you will become as much an addict as anybody else. And that's not the kind of happiness we're talking about. That would be my answer. Yeah, I think uh, kind of what this, this, where they unpack some of these questions is happiness is something a little bit more spiritual um, than, than just an experience that you're having um, and the emotions that you are feeling. Happiness is something that you participate in and something that you genuinely feel. I remember listening to a couple of TED Talks on where happiness is and where to find happiness every day in your life. And actually what they found um, and what the TED Talks were, there's a really good one by a Benedictine monk from New York. Um, It's a phenomenal TED Talk. I highly recommend anybody to go do it. I'll ask Tim at the end of this podcast because he's taking a piss right now to put a link to this TED Talk in the bio. And it's a little hard to understand at first because the the monk doesn't speak great English, but he gets to the point of where we find happiness is actually in our gratefulness and our thankfulness. Um, of Just being aware and thankful for every given moment and realize that again, when it comes to these rights and these things that we have plenty of things to be happy for. Again, it's hard when we talk about happiness and understanding that there are people that are struggling with depression, um, anxiety, they're in dark places in their lives. And so it's not enough to just sit here and say, you have plenty for you to be thankful for and plenty for you to be happy for. It's not that simple. We are well aware of that. But we're saying for those of you that are listening and you're not struggling with those things, these are what it is that we're looking for when it comes to happiness is that this is something that you experience, not something where you can take a shot of it into your system, release the chemicals, and you're okay. Um, and this is, ta- this is coming from somebody who has taken antidepressants. And don't get me wrong, they're helpful. They help you from going to dark places. But I, for as for me personally, they never made me happier than usual. I didn't feel any happier than who I was. It just took kept me from dark places. That's what, I, and that was because of chemical imbalances in my brain. I had chemicals being shot in there that were that were creating those scary places for me for, for a time. And so you needed the meds to be able to counteract some of that stuff. And so nothing came from it. And so that's where it's like, it, if it is something that you need at the time, 100% that you should take it. But you should continually go out searching for joy and continuing to shift your mindset about what joy looks like and happiness looks like in your life. That's what I would say. 
So I'm going to tie this back to the first question, the meaning of life. I'm going to say true joy. It's not exclusive, but I, I think the best joy and happiness is found not in things, but in relationships and stipulating that some of us are a little or a lot more introverted than others. Some of us have, again, the exceptions to the rule. I get that. But my moments of great happiness and joy come from relationships. Uh, when I coached football, the championship team that won a CIF championship was not because of what we accomplished on the field. It was seeing that class of seniors who dominated that team grow up for two years and become people who I then went out of my way to go to a uh, reunion for 20 years later after winning that championship and them seeing me and saying, hey, coach is here. It's relationships where we see true joy and happiness. And again, tying it back to meaning, I think that's how the meaning of life was for God to create. He was going to get happiness and joy through us and seeing us live like him and the Adam and Eve story tells us how we quickly went, go, went off the humanity quickly went off the rails, whether it was specifically that way or another way. We are to live that way, and when we don't, we which we are, I think that's the existential crisis we face ourselves now is we are trying to find joy and happiness in things. And I include, yes, we're interacting with people on YouTube. We're interacting with people on TikTok. We're interacting with people, people through our digital things. But I think humans are ultimately created to be tactile. It is not the same to live out the joy of a baby being born remotely over Zoom as it is to be in the room and feel and the exhilaration in the room of or the or next door down the hall even of a baby being born or a kid graduating from college or high school or someone coming home and saying I got a promotion so as we're quickly removing those things and convincing ourselves that we don't need those things that these man-made vehicles of happiness will can replace them we're finding out that's not the case how do you feel about it good on happiness i'm good okay this one's a nice little softball pitch for you are human ethics learned or inherited uh you think it's a softball i think it's both are they learned or natural are human ethics learned or natural well children would say that they're they're not there's a there's a great i don't know somebody said it I don't remember who said it, that every generation of children is are barbarians that parents are, are trying to turn into civil, civilized people. <sighs> I would say both. I would say at somewhere we have a heart. We do have a conscience. Most of us do. I think everybody does. It's just the sociopath, let's, you know, Hitler's the easiest one at some point does what, what I think, it, what God, what is described in the Old Testament as uh, when we're talking about Pharaoh is God turns his back on Pharaoh. And it's really Pharaoh de declaring to God that I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Right. Pharaoh entered what we, what I define as hell. 
Correct. He, he, what you define as hell, what we haven't talked about, which is probably a good episode to talk about, which is what this, this strange thing that said in the New Testament of uh, the only, the only unforgivable sin, which is denying the Holy Spirit. That's essentially what, what uh, Pharaoh did. Right. So that's, I, so it is, it's both. It's, it's every generation, it's, it's our task to teach it. Right. But it's also, what was the word you used? I said inherited at first, but the word, the term in the thing is natural. I, and I think natural is different. And I think that this is a big question that gets asked around. I don't think it's natural because I believe that it's given to us by God. So, um, even if it's natural within us, I believe that the argument that C.S. Lewis makes in mere Christianity is that it is something that is given to us by God. And so therefore it is taught in that sense. Um, whereas I feel like whenever I hear the natural thing, my inclination is to believe that people think that we naturally have a consciousness within us that tells us what to do and that it was not given to us. It's just what we have as humans to be able to do whatever it is that we do. You're, yeah, I think you're having you, you say that that's probably right. That was just how I felt about it. Do you want a better softball pitch this time? No, just keep. keep oh, I'm going down the list, but I this one's really easy. But it comes you with keep a quote. Saying that, but no, no, no. This one's really easy. I promise. <laughs> uh, this one has this one has a quote that goes with it, though. Is there a God? Well, yes. Uh, yeah, I told you. Okay. Uh, but it comes with an Albert Einstein quote, which I think, again, we've unpacked a little bit in this in this podcast, which is, science without religion is lame, but religion without science is blind. Absolutely. And I'm sad that we didn't have that quote for when we Yeah, that would have been great. I, I certainly I that no one listening to this should take that as we think Albert Einstein was some like uh, devout Jew. I, he wasn't. He was like a lot of his contemporaries, he believed in God. He believed in a Judeo-Christian God, which is at where we're at in society right now <laughs> is better than nothing. But he's absolutely correct. There's got to be humility on, on both sides. Quick aside, there was an article last week, the astronomers running the James Webb telescope announced that they had discovered some new galaxies and if I remember correctly, they are young galaxies. They're only 70 million or billion years old. But they are massive. Basically, they contradict every law that astronomers, whatever, I, they're not astronomers, whatever that part of science has, has set out as to how galaxies form. They contradict literally every rule that is known, and they're having to tear up their playbook. And I didn't read that with glee, like, ha ha, see, they don't know everything. It was like, just, yeah, see, we just keep exploring this world and we keep finding out what we thought we knew we didn't know. And that's all we need is just a little bit of humility with science. This isn't certainly, I'm sure there are a lot of scientists who practice, who are working every day, who are really fed up with their very vocal side of science that is very sure of itself. So I don't want to include all scientists. And the church needs to just get out of the way and let science continue to explore this amazing world that God created for us that I think is one of the also one of the great existential questions. Why did all of this infinite space, if one doesn't believe in aliens, get created just for us? It seems 
Did you um seems pretty crazy. I don't I feel bad about this um because I can't remember his name. Um but he has an interview with I don't think it's Jimmy Kimmel. What's another night show host? It's not Greg Gutfeld, it's not Jimmy Fallon. Not uh, Jimmy Fallon. Not the guy from the the Daily Show. No. I don't remember. I actually just it came across my feed the other day. And I actually like when this guy talks um, as somebody who is for science and also for religion um, at the same time and believing that they coexist. um, I like to hear about really cool things in science and I like to hear mind blowing things that Mm -hmm. are in science. Uh, Just the other day when we were driving home from Las Vegas, uh, we were playing a really fun game of would you rather. It went on for hours. Um, Again, I won't ask you any of the questions. Some of them are really silly. Some of them are really gross. But at one point they asked, like, you know, would you rather hit a golf ball on the moon or uh, hit a baseball on the moon? And and then it was suggested, what about throw a Frisbee on the moon? And then, like, one person in the car was a little bit more aware of kind of how a Frisbee works and explained to us that, like, a Frisbee would would not be any different than throwing a rock on the moon. And like I was like, wait, what? Like that just like it doesn't make sense yeah. in your brain, um, that kind of stuff. So, uh, and that's why sci-fi. If you read some of like Andy Weir's sci-fi, that's really good for you to be able to just kind of like sit there and you're like, oh yeah, like I forgot. Like that's how that works. Um, he's just very scientific in the way that he does things. Anyways, so there's mind-blowing things. I love to learn them. Um, and so he's the uh, he's the Tyson? He's the African-American yeah, guy? Yeah, Ty- Tyson. Isn't his name Tyson? I have no idea. I don't know what his yeah. name is off the top of my head. Awesome, amazing thing. He gets asked like, uh, he gets asked about it and he says, you want to know what keeps me up at night? And he goes into this whole spiel about how he explains to everybody in the crowd um, that eventually, millions of years from now, it's not anytime recently or anytime soon, we will not be able to see other galaxies right with the way that things continually move and the way that they go we will not be able to see other galaxies no matter how powerful our telescopes can become or whatever we will eventually pass out of the sight of those and eventually the stars in the night sky will be fewer and fewer and fewer which is bizarre right like that seems kind of weird and so those people will then have to deal with a universe that is now that much more restricted and confined because they don't know about all of the things that are outside. And so for him, he says, the thing that keeps me up at night is what has already passed from our view that we don't know. Oh, interesting. Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, there we go. He's not my favorite because he is a little too... I like him, but he's, he's also one of those on some things he gets very uppity about this is settled when it's not but anyway this yes, is a he phenomenal does. question he does but i mean like that's a really we're all flawed so it's a really crazy thing oh, that's, a, that's a great one that's insane it's like oh my gosh we don't know so what has passed through our view our scope because again even if you believe in the big bang theory there's still not really a great idea of when it happened mm-hmm. so 
what has transpired throughout that time to where there are things beyond what we realize and what we have seen. And basically what he admitted to was we don't know what we don't know. What if God is the universe? Okay, then did you... Uh, Tim is taking hits on a joint behind his oh, uh, <laughs> behind his microphone, and I just didn't see it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I'm not diving into that one. I don't know where they're. I can't come up with better any, than the ham sa- yeah. sandwich question. I can't come up with anything on that one. But I think it's a good point to where you when you look at science and when you look at religion. Um, Understanding that there's a lot of stuff out there that we do not know. Yeah. So science is continually uh, challenging itself, finding out new things, throwing out old playbooks, and Christianity needs to understand the same thing. The Bible is not a codec that explains how the world works. All right. Did we answer that? Yes, we did. It was just said, does God exist? Where do we go when we die? <laughs> We've answered this one before, but, you know, let's get Well, more... we have, but I think I've changed my answer since the last time I we recorded. All right, let's get definitive I mean, on could, it. I think, I think there is a heaven and a hell. It's just... Well, okay, well, where do we go then? What, what is the definition of that? What, what does heaven look like? What does hell look like in your eyes? Heaven's back to where we were supposed to be in Eden before as it's described in Eden, it's a perfect existence with God and hell is separation from God. So I, what I don't, what I'm still wishy-washy on and I, I'll be, I'll admit for those listening who think I'm being wishy-washy, I'm just not comfortable with hell being eternal and I'm, but I'm perfectly willing to admit that I'm wrong about that. But that's just me getting older and more are you wanting me to answer this question? Well, your again? answer is you don't know. My answer is I don't know. I think I don't know is kind of like the best. I think that's the best answer that I could give you. I can tell you what I know based off of the scriptures, and I can tell you that based off of the scriptures, heaven and hell are not this place after you die. These are places that we build here on earth. And so therefore... Yeah, like I said, there's always those two pieces of scripture that throw me off that I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about there. And so therefore, I have to sit there and say, I think where I lean is that after we die, I don't think there is anything. And I think what I do with that and the reason why that is what it is, is I expect the worst and I hope for the best. Um, I think if I really evaluate my mindset on that is I think think that everybody is determined that and honestly like if i'm correct it doesn't matter right like it doesn't matter um and so and so there's no point in me going and telling people that you're not going like you're not going anywhere after you die because people need that hope to i'm not going to deny that death is not a scary thing it's the end of things and so to sit there and like play that off and be like oh haha like you know like this is how it ends and that kind of stuff and like that's terrifying for lots of people i i still feel like there are people out there that say they're okay with it and they're not i still don't know that if on my deathbed even if i say that i'm okay right now 
if as I get there and I start realizing that I'm going to die, I'm still not going to go through the stages of grief and go through denial. And I don't know if I'll ever accept it. I think I would still have anxiety over the fact that I'm going to be ending my life or my life is going to be ending. Everybody wants to die asleep in a bed. They don't want to be told that they have cancer, even if they're at 88 years old. You don't, you don't think that there's, there's, let's just truly make this existential and go outside of a Christian worldview. You don't think there's something, maybe it's just humanity's just always struggling with it, but you don't think there's something divine about humanity's, every, every society in humanity has always dealt with the afterlife. So is that just part of them dealing with the meaning of life and our our inability to grasp that this finite thing might just be it? I love that every single time you ask or that I ask a question, you lead into the next question. <laughs> it is making this so fun for me. That's <laughs> just yeah. <laughs> Great job, Tim. Someone took a lot of philosophy at UCLA. Let's finally finally paying off. Well, apparently you forgot it all and are actually just going through the motions of the philosophy questions. Greek Roman bullshit. So for our next question, Tim is: Is one lifetime enough? (laughs) Well, that's no, but that's really a good question. Yeah, I know it is, and I think that's where. So you and I disagree, I think, on what the afterlife is, but where we agree is the fixation of the afterlife, particularly on the in the modern church. And by modern church, we don't mean the last 100, 200 years. We mean pretty much since well, probably what, Reformation or a little bit after the Reformation. I don't know. Our, our TikTok friend will probably correct us if he's bother to start listening to the podcast what's his name anyway since dispensationalism let's just put it that way dispensationalism has taken over the the christian church if you don't know what dispensationalism it's this it's this idea about the afterlife about the revelation and jesus coming back and new heaven and new earth and if you're a dispensationalist you think that's the what the church's should believe, you probably believe that's what the church always believed until the Catholics messed it up, and the fact of the matter is dispensationalism is a relatively young view of revelation and the kingdom of God within the scope of Christendom since Jesus Jesus left the earth. Just not. The early church was much more, much more believed in how Colton and I have described the view of the afterlife, and the here and now. So it's a long-winded way of saying we should hope for an afterlife and live as if this is it. And I think we do the opposite as Christians. We do the total opposite. We live as if there's an afterlife, and so therefore we just, yeah, whatever. And our whatever is to go telling everybody else they're going to go to hell if you don't believe in this. Right, no, it's it's go, it is, there is an afterlife. That is our goal. And that's what I, we've talked about on this podcast a bunch is our goal as Christians is to get people to the afterlife. Correct. That is what people want. When they say that they want to save you from your, it's not save you here and now from your sins and what it's doing to you mentally and that, nope, it is looking into the future as to what is happening after your death. But Jesus Christ was like, nope, 
The big issue is what is happening now. Yeah. What those sins are doing to you now. And even if you don't feel like they're doing anything to you, that's fine. Listen, I, I'm fully aware that ignorance is bliss. If you don't sit there and say that there's a problem or anything like that, I'm not saying this because I've heard lots of testimonies in which I have of people saying that like, hey, this is the way that I live my life. I was unfulfilled. There was like all of this. And then from this, I found meaning. I stopped worrying, being angry at my dad, who was a terrible person. So I stopped, I stopped the cycle of anger. Yes. And so that's where, again, where we talked about it and we've talked about it on this podcast is there is a spiritual element that you are ignoring in your life. If you continue to commit sin, you are ignoring the spiritual element of your life. There are the other areas that you may be taking care of just fine. You may be wealthy. You may be healthy. You may be whatever. You're not being cursed as it seems that Christians tell you that you are is inevitably going to happen to you. There may not be a shred of guilt in your mind over these things. Oh, yeah. That's that's that goes back to the question a little while ago and kind of obliterates what I said, which is uh what was it? not morality, but uh is it taught or natural there are plenty of people who are absolute nihilists don't believe in god go around the world shitting on everyone they come across and they're completely successful right and that's not to say that's that all rich people live that way but i'm sorry there's a lot of people who live completely antithetical to the life god and jesus want one to live and they're completely and there is no there is never any earthly punishment for those people which is why i think some people who don't believe in god say well what's the point yeah exactly i mean that that's a good existential question if god really cares about everyone living that way why doesn't he go out of his way when someone kind of is succeeding at playing the game as it's not intended to go i'm gonna knock you down a little bit i'm gonna make you lose everything you have and now because your entire identity is because you wear nice suits and have a bunch of hot women all with you around all the time and worth a gazillion dollars you're gonna take it all away and now see how you exist that's not how god works nope god wants us to be doing the work right and when he chooses and this is the unanswerable ex- existential question when he chooses he intervenes in small ways and big ways. Right. But yeah, this this fixation of... <laughs> I had this discussion with my mom, and she's gotten way more uh, progressive, so to, so to speak, in her old age. But even she was, you know, well, if, if you're not having discussion about the afterlife in heaven, what's the point? I'm like, no, look... One can believe in in heaven, but we get fixated on where someone's going because they're not doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And at the end of the day, my thing is don't focus on the hard part is we want to sit there and promise golden riches at the end of the rainbow. Correct. Why can't you just sit there and fucking enjoy the rainbow? You can sit there and say, hey, look, like fix this mess because of what it's doing to you now. Here's the problem. Here's one of the problems. We as Christians, we fall in the same trap everyone else does. We are wired, whether it's either a sinful wiring or it's just the way we're wired. I don't know how it is, but we're wired to be tribal. And so Christians become tribal, and so we then fall into our little cloisters. And we do it, one, because we're, we like as people. You're a liar. Churches have never done that. 
We as people like to hang out with people who are like-minded. I get it. And then if we're parents, we let, we have children, we want them to be in a healthy, sheltered environment with people who are like-minded so that we raise children like that. I totally get it. But our job is not to create little towns and hamlets where we can all recede into the out of the ickiness of the world and protect ourselves. Right. If you want to make a difference in the world, you got to get down and dirty with the, the icky people. And it doesn't mean you have to live like they do. And again, it doesn't mean you have to walk through the office with the sandwich board that says, I'm, I'm a Jesus follower. Live life like Jesus. Do the, you know, the pay, pay it forward thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. When someone shits on you at work, don't lose your shit. Say, all right, I get it. You had a bad day. I probably might have done the same thing 10 years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, you know what? It's very, it's not that hard. Look, it's really hard. I, I, every day I violate it. And at my best, my brain t- turns on and says, this is your moment to, to love your God, love someone like you would want to be loved, or love your enemy. One of those three things. It's really easy to love someone like you want to be loved when they're fine. The love your enemies, as we talked about in a couple episodes, is really hard. Yeah. But those are the big payoffs. But instead, we want to say, you know, don't you really want to go to heaven? That's not the point. Nope. It's not. And I mean, again, we talked about it. Like, it's it's not the point. It's not the point of Christianity. If you have that as your forefront, I'd highly recommend that you reevaluate and again, I feel like we've talked about this before, is just reevaluate on that. Meditate on it for a while. Because we're here on this earth right now, and this is what we can control. And as much as people want to say that there are things that are promised in that book that is known as the Bible, we still have no proof, no evidence of something happening afterwards. But we have a mission and a vision that is asked of us right now. And so, therefore, that needs to be the goal and the mindset that we have. And if you signed on for this, you were baptized, as we talked about earlier, or you've had something go on in your faith to where this is something that you've signed on for, and you're like, that's not what I signed up for, I get it. And I'm sorry because you were led astray to think that this was an easy way into an easy another life. Right, Because, again, the question was, is one lifetime enough? And I think that this gets to the heart of the other question that we had talked about, whereas what happens after we die? Because the question is, when Tim asked was, is this just something that like everybody has this fixation with it? Every single religion talks about somewhere that you go. And the answer is it's because people, in my opinion, are selfish. And this life is good. No matter how much people say that this life sucks or that it's miserable, it's what they have and they don't want to lose what they have. And so that's why I say that, you know, I think that that's where that comes from. I'm going to put it this way. And the line is act as if. So if you want to be, if you want to be the ring-a-ding sales guy who's, you know, dressed, act as if you're that guy and you will eventually become that guy. You will sell, you will sell your customers that you are that guy and you will eventually achieve that. And I think what you and I are saying is actually it's the opposite. It's live as if. 
We need to stop living as if there is an eternal life and actually live as if this is our one chance. Yeah. When Jesus says, follow me and you'll have eternal life, maybe his, his whatever, I, who knows whatever word he originally used, act as if the eternal life is us being one little cog and trying to better this earth to where we get closer to what is described as just Adam and Eve for some period of time before they mucked it up. Act as if the new heaven and earth earth can be achieved by Jesus fall enough Jesus followers just starting to live as if this is the new heaven and the new earth. It is better to err on the side of this is now the the new king the new heaven and the new earth. Right. Live as it, as if it is. And if you're in the west and you're not a Jesus follower and you think Jesus is a bunch of hokum we talked about this a little bit. We should probably talk about it on another episode. You're living in you're living in Christianity, whether you like it or not. Your worldview is a Christian worldview, even if you think Jesus is a moron and it's a bunch of hokum. Yeah. The the worldview you believe in in human rights and et cetera, et cetera, only came about because Jesus came around. Before then, the world was a shit show, including the Roman Greco world that we like to convince ourselves is what we're based on. The Roman Greco world believed that if you were a Roman citizen, you could own and have sex with and mistreat anything that wasn't a Roman uh, citizen, including little boys. Right. So if you think that's the world we're, we're living on, you're fooling yourself. It is because Jesus lived for three years and Paul wrote some pretty amazing philosophical documents that then transformed the world. You're still coming up with the next question every single time, <laughs> which is hilarious. I was literally, I literally, I literally thought to myself, I was like, oh, okay, well, this one's just gonna miss like the whole like mark. This is awesome. This. And then like Tim just like Tim brings it up. Beer. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, that's hilarious. No way did that happen. I literally was like, there's no way we could tie this one in. So, Tim, is humanity going in the right direction or the wrong direction? Humanity's all... <laughs> humanity's always going in the wrong direction, I think. Oh, you think so? You literally just said, when you say that we're living in the Greco-Roman era, and you're saying that this is what's I happening a, during the... What is it? Optimistic pessimist. All right, I'll get us a beer. Go explain that to the audience. I'm drinking Big Sky. Out of Montana, being Montana, which is one of the least populous states in the country, you don't expect a brewery out of there. Big Sky punches way above its weight. Their most known beer is Moose Drool. You can get it in a lot of places. It's a brown ale. I am drinking the Space Goat Pale Ale, which we got as from a mix pack in Vegas. That is a different IP, uh, pale ale. It's not an IP, it's a pale ale. Mm, interesting. All right. Okay, what was the question again? Is humanity getting better or is it getting worse? So I said no, it's getting worse. I said I'm optimistically pessimistic, which means by that I mean I'm optimistic in the short term, but pessimistic in the long term. Uh, look, it's hard to not be pessimistic right now. 
uh, not because of the amount of atheism that's taken over, but if I'm really being look, if I'm really being honest, I don't think humanity does much of a big swing one way or another. It's it's really just a pendulum back and forth, and so. It's really easy to be pessimistic right now, but if one looks at humanity, that probably, well, we haven't talked about it. We don't need to spend a lot of time at it. We're, I don't know if the thing's still going on. There's a little revival going on at that Kentucky college for what it gone on for like, I don't know, 20 days, nonstop worship. Uh, not our flavor of Christianity, but I look at that and I put a smile on my face because I think that's probably what's going to happen pretty soon. When humanity starts getting really dark and turning against God, there's a swing back. And I think we're probably due for a swing back. But if if I'm being really honest in what I was talking about in the previous one, yeah, humanity's better. We certainly have our flaws. We had the 20th century with mass murder never seen before in ter- from war and from totalitarian regimes that were, I would say, godless. And that's why they were totalitarian why there was totalitarian murder on the scale of 80 million people between Germany, Soviet Union, and China. But there were also a lot of other things that were positive about it. So it's it's a mixed bag. One is always dealing with new challenges. Uh, even with the happiness question we dealt with a little while ago, and I said it was probably harder to be happy in the 1600s in Wales. That's You deal with what you deal with. We have new challenges here that in the grand scheme of things probably seem minor, but there are challenges. Uh, it's hard for humanity to deal with new technology like having a computer in your pocket and being able to talk to people in a way we've never been able to talk to people. And we're trying to adapt and evolve. And we're in the really in the nascent stage of that technology. It's going to take probably 100 years to figure out how to deal with computers and the internet and phones and all that kind of thing so yeah if one's being really honest we'll figure it out and i am sure it might happen after my lifetime colton might see it there will be a great revival it'll be a different revival it will be similar to what i've talked about it'll be more similar to a protestant reformation than a little protestant uh enlightenment like we've had a couple of them in the united states The church will probably come out, the church 200 years from now will probably think and act differently than anyone listening to this will recognize because it has to, it has to adapt to the world that, and I think, I think, I think I mentioned this in a recent podcast. I think Jesus and God and his infinite wisdom intended for that to happen, which is why you and I struggle with people arguing about how the church was in Acts. Yeah. The church in Acts was dealing with the church in Acts. The church today should deal with how the church today should act. And the the guardrails are Jesus died and rose three days later for our sins and maybe a few other things. And after that, it's all nonsense we're arguing about. So how do we meet people today in a postmodern digital world? And right now, we have a bunch of analog, pre-digital people trying to tell us what to do. Yeah. Which is not their fault. That's how these things work. It takes a, that, that last generation, the last generation of power brokers. And again, I am not saying, oh, these are, you know, uh, Billy Graham's son is just holding on to power. They are the power brokers. 
They don't like giving up control. The world is how they've seen it. That is the world they know. It takes them to die off and a new new wine and new wineskins to come about. I think that in this, I don't know. I'm extremely optimistic. I think that the world is getting better. I think that we have to believe that. I think that we as humans are growing and developing. I think that there's always everybody's going to say that the world is going to shit. I think that what we are experiencing right now, there's a lot of, and I mean, like, as, and the pendulum swing is good. I don't feel like the pendulum swing is, like, always a good analogy because it just makes it seem like we're stagnant. But it's not. Um, I do think that the pendulum does keep swinging, but it also continues to keep moving forward through its swings. Um, So it's almost at, like, an angle to where it swings off to the right, but it continues to move north. And then it swings off to the left, but it still continues to move north. Um, There are adjustments that we have to make along the way, and there are improvements that we have to make. um, And it's going to keep doing that. And even there's going to be times where we have setbacks and things that hold us back. But we as humanity are growing and evolving slowly but surely. Some of us are further behind, and that's how that goes. Um... And for anybody that thinks that the United States is leading the forefront, I you're wrong, in my opinion. Um, I think that there are certain things that we are not really good at so far that other people are better at than us. And there are people that are there. We're not the best, but we're not the worst, right? There's people that are still struggling and people that are having issues and problems that are far back behind us. And so those... and. And and here's where we get the superhero complex is that people in the United States sit there and we say we need to go help them get to our level. Um, and so believe it or not, whether you hate on the United States or not, that is technically happening. It's just happening at an accelerated rate that's really not how it's supposed to work. And so it causes lots of problems and uh, leaves bad tastes in people's mouths. And so what you get is you have really good intentions and really bad results. <laughs> uh, and so that's where it's like you need, we sometimes as Americans need to stop playing God where we are really benefiting from where we're at, but really just focusing on on ourselves and our development and that kind of thing is what I would say. But I still believe that we are moving forward slowly but surely. It just, it takes time. I think a lot of times what I experience from people is that people say things are going to shit just because it's different from how it was when they were five years younger, 10 years younger, 20 years younger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just just because things are different doesn't mean it's going to shit. Humans are, there's a lot of that. When When I was, yes, there's a lot of nostalgia built into. It's built into everyone. You're right. Yeah, the world is much better. Our view of children is a Christ-centric view of children. Children were property before Jesus scolded the disciples and said, let them come to me. That is a profound moment in the Bible, and it needs to be discussed much more often. Women have the rights they have today because, uh, yes, Jesus didn't come and solve all the problems, and that's an existential question you can ask God, why did you allow for slavery and blah, blah, blah. blah. And it's an, yes, that is a 
existential question one can ask of God. I think God, the, the answer to that is for whatever reason, well, not for whatever reason, what we've been talking about. God moves incrementally through his people. He doesn't solve problems by just solving problems. We wouldn't have, slavery is a human condition. It is not a God-codified condition. It is a human condition. Did God allow it in the Old Testament? Did he, did, did he declare it wrong? No. We do, that is not how the Old Testament or the New Testament is written. But it is only because of Christianity and the worldview that all people are created equal. Slavery ended, that Martin Luther King talked the way he talked. We will have an episode on Martin Luther King. We, we as modern Christians have done a great disservice to ourselves and our country and Martin Luther King by not, he should be the Protestant saint that we talk about. We will have an episode about that. That is a Jesus view of the world. That, I'm sorry, that is not a Confucius view of the world or Buddha view of the world or just a humanity view of the world. That is a Jesus view of the world. There is something in Christianity. It's not a Jesus, It's not a proper view of Christianity. Maybe it's this whole thing we were talking about before of heaven and hell where we like to think, well, part of it's, it's where the whole dispensationalism thing, we like to think that the world's going to hell in a handbasket because Jesus is going to come back. This is another reason why that is a bad idea to think of the afterlife and Jesus's return. Right. When you have dispensationalism becoming the popular view of Christianity in the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s, it stands to reason that it is likely to turn people off because whether we are articulating ourselves poorly or we're being misrepresented poorly, it doesn't matter. When we make the second coming of Jesus as the big deal, it stands to reason that those who are not Jesus followers go, that's kind of weird that they want the end of the world to happen and that's the thing that's a big thing. Yeah. All right, next one. Last one. Will the human race go extinct? <laughs> no, as a Jesus follower, I'll say, I say no. But we have the capability. We do have the capability. And it is our job as, as Jesus followers to ensure that we don't extinct ourselves. I agree. I think as Jesus followers, it's uh, we have to sit there and say, we're not going extinct. Now, that being said... I don't believe that there's some divine protection around us. To where, no. To where if you sit there and you don't heed the warnings of nuclear warfare, if you don't heed the warnings of global warming, and even if you're like the type that doesn't believe in global warming, but understanding what, what our job is on this planet... And what it is that we're supposed to do and to where this is where even if you don't believe in global warming, something that I think you should recognize is that we have a job to take care of this planet. And there are currently situations that are occurring on this planet that are unnatural for it and that are being caused by us. And in California, for anybody that listens to this, that is in California, we have the we have the wonderful Delta smelt. I mean, it's this really good argument about. Preservation versus reservation. 
where should we do all of these things where the Delta smell is keeping water from lots of people in lots of places um, because there is a tiny fish that nobody has been able to find that only is able to live within the Delta system. For those of you guys that don't know how the Delta works in California, this is a fish that can only live in a partial saltwater, freshwater situation. It has to be in the Delta. So the Delta is where the... The water from San Francisco comes in uh, through and it meets the rivers coming down. And so there's a very particular fish that lives in that area. The fish is minuscule. It's not a part of any type of situation or it's not a part of any. It's not like on the food chain. Right. That's the important part. But it's part of the ecosystem. But it's part of the and ecosystem. we don't know if it goes away, how it affects the ecosystem. But there's and there's still speculation out there that it doesn't even exist anymore. Like, it's already an extinct fish. But there's this idea that we need to push for the Delta smell. And so I'm not saying that you have to become a preservationist to where you need to protect this Delta smell. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, I need to be woke about this. I need to feel whatever. And that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about understanding global warming. But understanding that we have a duty to this Earth to you as functional conscious human beings to sit there and say it's not about the money we as americans are really good about doing things for the money because money creates power and all that kind of stuff and that that's really difficult and anybody who has money would sit there and say well that's really easy for you to say um in the middle class and sure that's what i got for you but we still need to be conscious about what it is that we're doing because we don't have that that divine blanket that just protects us from whatever. We just sit there and say, well, God, we are God-chosen's people. He's not going to let us die out so we can just keep doing whatever the hell we want. No, that is irresponsible. That's like sitting there and continuing to, continuing to push the buttons on your parents um, and just doing whatever the fuck you want to your parents. And just be like, well, I'm their kid, so therefore they won't ever take me out of this world. And so, yeah, that's something that we need to recognize as people of this of this world. So, that's what I would say on it. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out two seemingly contradictory things, but they're not. They're just opposite ends of the extreme. The first one is echoing what you said: act as if we can destroy the world. Live as if we can destroy the world. We have. We have reached the level of industrial capacity to where we need to be mindful of the world we have been given stewards of. This goes back to Genesis. You and I have made it clear, Colton, on this podcast, we do not take the Old Testament literally. And I think that gets mistaken as we don't think it's important. Right. That is not the case. Whether one believes Adam or Adam actually lived, the point of Adam before Eve is created, or when Eve is created, when they are both given this perfect world to live in, before they sin, they are told, this world is for you, but you're to manage it. Yeah. And after we sin, the natural world then becomes somewhat of our enemy, and it now takes great blood, sweat, and tears to manage this earth, but we are still to manage it. Yeah. And we are to manage it in a way that it resembles what God gave us. So we are to act as if we can destroy this world. We can destroy it through technology and industrialness. 
We can destroy it through the weapons we have now developed since the Manhattan Project. Yeah. And we are to be overly mindful when great powers come to blow that we don't destroy this earth with what we have created. The complete opposite of that, and this is where the church has got into the into problems, is we act as if nature can destroy us. And we, and we act like idiots. What, what, what does Tim mean by that? So before science becomes what we know as modern science, we have, we have the Black Plague hit Europe, and we have other diseases go through Europe and the colonies. And what do Christians do? They assume that this natural thing is demonic, and they use it to kill or ostracize or cast out Jews. They use it to... Pick on whoever in town needs to be uh, ostracized. So if you're thinking of the colonies, it's single women because they must be single because they're witches. And so therefore they must be the reason why there's this calamity that's hit the colony. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword. So we need to be respectful of nature, but also understand that we have great power. But I, I agree with you. Nature will not, God did not create this world to destroy us. That's probably the lesson in the, the Noah flood story, which is also the flood story is in many other cultures is nature will never destroy humanity. Because if you're one of those people who died, yet you still died. But <laughs> humanity still ultimately lived. Nature will never destroy mankind. But we, as we become more godlike, can destroy the earth if we're not mindful. And I suppose the dispensationalists would say, well, that's the moment Jesus comes riding in on his horse, on his horse, the pale rider. All right. Is that it? I think that's it. We should do more of these. Uh, I was like, we can do it next next week. I We're going like, to keep doing these. These are fun. I was like, we got 11 questions in, so. We're going to keep doing these. We'll, we'll do these for a whole... Series of podcasts, and then once we're done with that, we'll do. We're, we've been talking about mere Christianity, so I'm gonna lay down the gauntlet. When we're done with this, we'll start discussing mere Christianity. All right, sounds good. And if you don't think existential questions are cool, then go to hell. <laughs>